Well, good morning, church. How we doing? We doing all right? Okay, yeah. You, you, you guys sound like I feel right now. I feel like, you know, yeah, we're here, whatever. Just get on with it. Um, we're, uh, as you saw, we're in a, a series called Christmas Stories, and uh, we started it last week. There are a bunch of really cute kids here last week, and so I can't lean on them for you guys to say it was a good service today. So uh, we're going to do our best to dig through the text a little bit. For those of you who are new with us, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at, uh, at FB Hanford. We're, uh, we're glad that you're here. This week, uh, we get to talk a little bit about another character in the Christmas story, and we're going to talk a little bit about the angels uh, uh, who are a part of the story. Last week, we, we saw some really cute kids and told the whole birth of Christ and all that stuff, and then I launched into how everyone in humanity is a sinner, and we're all bad, and we're evil, and all of that stuff, so it really went together real nicely. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but today we get to talk about, talk about the angels a little bit. And there's a lot of misconceptions about angels. We're not going to go into the lineage and, and, or, or the origin of angels or anything like that. Um, we're going to talk about specifically the angels and the announcements that they gave during this time. Um, when I was growing up... Uh, we had these neighbors, and their their name was the Fausts. Now, something you need to know about where I grew up. We grew up on a cul-de-sac, and on that cul-de-sac, we had nine boys all within two years of each other in all the surrounding homes, right? So it was a blast growing up where I grew up. I mean, it was madness growing up where I grew up, but it was a blast, okay? And so oftentimes what we did is we we made up a whole lot of games um, to, to pass the, the time living out. We were out in the country in a cul-de-sac, and we were just like, like, hey, our parents are all at work. We should probably do something, right? So we did. Um, and one of the games we came up with was at the Faust's house. And um, it was essentially soccer with our hands. Plus, you, you tackled people because that's what boys do. Like, the game is always better if we do all this plus we get to hit each other. So that's what we did. Um, but I remember it was this really long room. And in one corner of the room was a, uh, was a picture. It was, it was Andrea Faust's prize possession. Um, and so it's not going where you think it's going. Um, don't worry. The picture never got destroyed. But I know it was the prize possession because every time we would start a game in that room, the Faust boys, Jason and Jeffrey Faust, would say, hold on, before we start, guys, we need to move this photo. And it was a massive, massive I don't know if it was a painting or a photo or whatever, but it was just this massive thing that was on kind of like a, a tripod thing and whatever. Um, and, uh, but I remember distinctly on that picture, on that painting, was two chubby babies with wings just staring off into an abyss, like with clouds underneath them and everything like that. And I thought to myself, oh, this is angels, these, this is what angels look like. Now, a lot of us probably have seen, seen images that, that are like those as well, right? Chubby babies and that sort of thing with, with wings and they're really, really cute and all of that stuff. We get a very different picture of what angels actually look like when we open our Bible and read, read, read scripture, right? Angels are very regimented. They're very orderly. We talk about flaming swords and protectors. And these, I mean, their, their, their primary function is to be messengers. Actually, that's what the name angel means in the original uh, text. It means messenger. And so while we're talking about them today, that's one of the things that we need to recognize is their primary function as that of messengers. And so largely, other than, other than the Holy Spirit, 
Uh, angels are the most pivotal players in this drama that we know as the Christmas story. They're the, the, uh, Matthew tells us that, that it was one of them who brought the announcement of the upcoming birth to Joseph. Luke tells us that it was one of them who brought the announcement of the upcoming birth to Mary. And then Luke again tells us that it was a host of them who brought the birth announcements to the shepherds. Their role in the Christmas drama has been practically immortalized by our hymn writers. So for those of you who are like, yep, love the old hymns. I know all the old hymns, all that stuff. Think about the hymns that talk about the angels. It came upon a midnight clear. Angels from the realms of glory. Angels we have heard on high. The first Noel while shepherds watch their flocks. Hark the herald. Angels sing, immortalized by hymns or this character that we find in the Christmas story, these characters rather. And to hear the hymn writers tell it, the angels had a lot to say about Christmas. And biblically speaking, those hymn writers are right. You may not have realized it, but it's principally from angels that we learn the significance of Christ's birth. But why should we care about what these beings necessarily say about Jesus's birth? What is it about them that makes them reliable sources to listen to? Very simply, it was, it was they who came from the very presence of God in heaven. And with birth announcements patterned after those of Caesar's, it was they who declared to us on earth all that is important for us to know about Christmas and specifically about the birth of Christ. And so as we look back, we can look back into older books of the Bible and look into prophecy and look at, you know, Jesus was going to come or, or a Messiah was going to come in, in some way. But, but largely after the end of the Old Testament, there's a 500 year gap that we call the intertestamental period, the gap between the two testaments. And so in those 400 years, we have silence from God until the angels come to begin to proclaim the birth of Christ. So what is it then that the, the birth announcements, the different times they came and talked with different people, tell us about Christmas according to the angels? Okay? Because uh, the, uh, the, the two authors of the books, um, Matthew and Luke, they record a few key ideas for what we want to explore, uh, explore in our time today. The first of which should be up here. It's your first fill in the blank. And, and that blank is the angels announce good news of great joy. The angels announce good news of great joy. And for most of us, we're like, yep, that makes sense. Okay. Anytime we talk about angels, they are announcing this good news of great joy. Or they are warning or something. But when we think about angels, think about, man, those are the good guys. This is good news of great joy. But the question is, is who needs great joy? Who is it that needs great joy? Because those people who, who know themselves to be lowly and humbled by sin and suffering and death, they need good news of great joy. People who have ran out of hope, people who do not know where to turn, those are the people who need to know good news of great joy. I think we all probably know someone like that. Someone who needs to know good news of great joy. And so did Matthew. And of all places, he founds a number of them. Matthew talks about a number of them in the genealogy of Jesus himself. So what Matthew does is he's going to go back. Because, because one of the prophecies of the Messiah is going to come from the line of David. 
And so Matthew looks back to make sure that Jesus, he can trace Jesus back to David. And so Matthew reminds us that among Jesus' ancestors was a guy named Judah. He's the one who led his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery. And it was otherwise known in scripture was he was conniving and promiscuous. There's also a woman named Tamar in Jesus' line. Tamar, for those of you who don't know, she was a Canaanite daughter, uh, daughter-in-law of Judah, who because of Judah's negligence took desperate measure of posing as a prostitute to become a mother of two sons by Judah, all to save from extinction the line from which the Messiah was to come. You're going to start seeing a theme here as I start talking about more and more people who are in the lineage of Jesus. As these people are normal, messed up, people with issues just like every single one of us have that these are normal people this isn't a bloodline that you want to hang your hat on matthew talks about a woman named rahab in jesus's genealogy she was a canaanite prostitute who believed in the god of abraham saved by joshua and his spies from the destruction of jericho even ruth she's a moabite widow from a shamed line of incestuous person named Lot was in Jesus, or uh, sorry, an incestuous, yeah, Lot was in Jesus' lineage. So was King David, who became the father of Solomon by committing adultery and being an accomplice to murder, who later on in life presided over the collapse of his kingdom and the disintegration of his family. These aren't people that you would say, oh yeah, that's my uncle. You wouldn't willingly give people this information. So even in Jesus' genealogy, there's not a lot of wise people. There's not a lot of mighty people. There's not a lot of noble people. But that's just the point of the angel's birth announcement. It is to sinners such as these that the angels bring good news of great joy. And it's been well said that, that good news is good news only to those who know that they're in a bad place. So again, I ask, do you know anyone who needs good news? And you and I should know at least one person like that, and at least one person whose, whose sin and suffering and death have made, have made them lowly and humbled, and they have no hope, even in the midst of a season where what we do is celebrate hope. And maybe for some of us in here, that person goes by the name of me or myself. Or I. The angel's birth announcements brought good news of great joy to those who know themselves to be sons and daughters of sin and death, just like we talked about last week. The book of Romans is very clear that every single one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so because of that, all of us are in a state of, of, of needed reparation. Every single one of us needs to be reconciled to God in some way, shape, or form. And so next we need to focus on two, two, two more truths, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one. And this is your next, your next slide. The angels announced Jesus' life and work. The angels announced Jesus' life and work. 
when we reflect on, on the angels sending birth announcements to all the people, we need to appreciate that the angels were not saying here that the God of the Bible is a universalist, okay? Because he says he, it, is, it is good news to all people. Now, for those of you who have been around for a while, um, this is one of the things that makes the church nervous. This is, this is uh, a more liberal theology that Jesus came and died for everybody, and regardless of how we live, every single one of us is going to go to heaven, it's the idea of universalism. It doesn't matter what it is that you believe. All of us are going to end up in heaven uh, anyway. Because how could, a, how could a good God and a fair God, or not a fair God, how could a good God allow sinners, allow people that he loved, that he created to go and die? And it's a compelling argument because it pulls on our heartstrings, right? I mean, even last week as we were talking about King Herod, Herod the Great, and, and one of the things that Herod the Great did was he killed every single child in Bethlehem under the age of two years old. Like, okay, that's a sinful dude. But what about all those babies, right? I mean, I mean, what about all the people that, that really have no shot? What about people who have not yet heard about Jesus and don't know who God is? How, how are all of those people going to end up in heaven? And the reality is, is that's... That, that's why I'm really, really happy that God is God and I am me. Because I don't have to worry about that. What I have to worry about is being able to understand that Christ came and died on a cross on my behalf. And so I know this. And beyond that, not only do I need to know that, I also need to make sure that everybody in my sphere of influence, everybody in my life also is very aware of that. Luke chapter 10, actually, or Luke chapter 2, verse 10, actually talks a little bit about this. It says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good, no good news that will cause great joy for all people. It's that for all people that people tend to get hung up on, where they think to themselves, You know what? For all people, that means for everybody. In the Bible, though, God has revealed himself as impartial to sinners, regardless of social categories in which we distinguish them into. He saves all sorts of people. He saves those who are not in authority as well as those who are in authority. He saves females as well as males, the poor as well as the rich, the powerless as well as the powerful. He saves non-Jews. He saves Jews. He saves Turks. He saves Iraqis. He saves Palestinians. He saves Israelites. He saves Americans. He saves Native Americans. He saves South Americans. He saves Africans. He saves Europeans. God is impartial. So when this talks about the idea that he brings good news of joy for all people, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about the impartiality of God. That what we need to worry about, what we need to consider is that God has revealed himself to us. This is his special revelation to us. That he tells us there is one way to heaven. The angels know there is one way to heaven. We're going to get to that in just a second. But, but, but there is one way to heaven that's through his son. So the question then is how do we respond to God's impartiality? How are we okay with that? Well, if we look back to Jonah, Jonah is very displeased with how impartial God is. He's not happy about it. Actually says it in Jonah chapter 4 verse 3. It says, now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is his prayer when God tells him, hey, you need to go talk to these people about me. Jonah's like, nah, I'm good. I'd rather die than do that. 
Would you rather die than see God's saving work and will to reach even to exceedingly wicked people? People in your life, people that you know that you're like, you know what? I would rather die than share the gospel with them. Hopefully most of us say no. Some of us count all the people according to carnal standards, not, not according to spiritual standards. Because the angels who brought the birth announcements of Christmas teach us how to count. They tell us that the good news of great joy comes to people in bondage to their sins. Regardless of any other social category into which we may distinguish him. The birth announcements of the angels that came to all the people also spoke of Jesus though. And Jesus' person and work. Notice the titles that the angels describe, uh, describe, the angels used to describe Jesus. In Luke 2, verse 11, it says this. It says, for unto, you, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And it's because of the fact that he will save his people from the bondage of the sins, the angels from heaven directed Joseph, directed Mary, his earthly parents, to name the Christ child Jesus. His very name is a Greek form of the Hebrew word Joshua. And it signifies the truth that Yahweh saves. In Jesus, then, there is a Joshua, a Savior, who brings a deliverance greater than of Moses, of Joshua, and of David. They had delivered the nation from their Gentile enemies, but Jesus ultimately delivers his people from their sins. He makes that repair that is necessary for us to be able to be in heaven forever. The child in the manger is not only a savior, he's also Christ, the anointed one of God. Jesus is the final prophet anointed to lead God's people to spiritual liberty. The final prophet. He's the greater priest anointed to offer that one sacrifice of himself to take away the sins of the world. The true king anointed to conquer sin, anointed to conquer death, and thereby make his nation secure and pure for fellowship with God. But it also talks about the fact that child is the Lord. Indeed, he is God with us. My old pastor always used to say that he is God with a bod. I always thought it was weird. <laughs> but he's God. He's sovereign over everything. He's the son called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, whose government and peace will never end as he reigns on David's throne forever. This is the fulfillment of a prophecy from a long time ago. What's the bottom line here? The bottom line here is when the angels speak of Jesus' person, when the angels speak of Jesus' work, they tell us that there's hope for those who live in the land of darkness. There's hope for those who live in the land of the shadow of death. They tell us there is hope because someone greater than Abraham is here. Someone greater than Moses and Joshua is here. Someone greater than David and Solomon is here. Jesus exceeds every single one of them in his person and in his work. So what, what good news of great joy this is to all people. And the last thing we need to understand about the birth, and birth announcements is the angels celebrated glory. The angels celebrated. What's the next one? Go ahead and put it up there. And the angels announced that Christ's birth is glorifying to God. 
Christ's birth is glorifying to God. Luke 2.14 tells us that. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. In their birth announcements for Jesus. In these words, like what did the angels tell us but that, that in Jesus, the full weight of the goodness of God, the perfections, the excellencies of God has been revealed. That's what the angels want us to know. That Christ's birth is glorifying to God. Think about God's beauty for a moment. I know that's a weird thing to say. We don't normally talk about God's beauty um, because we just we don't think about that with the Lord. But but we should use it more. The Hebrew word actually found in Psalm twenty seven it carries the idea that that the utter delightfulness of God it's the it's 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 the profound desirability of God. And the point is that God is the sum of all desirable quantities. Qualities, not quantities. That's different. I don't know how many of us want have a desirable quantity that we want to get to. Um, but desirable qualities, rather. Whew. Guys, if you want to impress your wife, tell her you are a desirable quantity. <laughs> now, nah, that's a good call. The point is that God is the sum of all desirable qualities, not quantities. In God alone, we find all moral and spiritual perfections. In him, these excellencies, they're, they're found in impeccable proportion and harmony. All are found in delicate balance, stunning, brilliant, full of integrity. And as Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, he's the exact imprint of his nature as a hebrews one tells us he is himself altogether excellently he's exquisitely splendid he's supremely lovely he's radiantly wonderful and with the angelic host let us praise god saying glory to god in the highest indeed the angels weren't wrong here and so when we talk about the fact that he is all of desirable qualities we can jump back up to the idea of universalism how everybody's going to get to heaven the reality is the scripture tells it's not true because oftentimes in 21st century America and Western culture, specifically Western Christianity, when someone said, says God is, 99% of the time people are going to respond with love, which is 100% true. But you know what else is 100% true? God is 100% love, but God is also 100% just. And so God allows people to make the decision that they have made about following him for eternity. I was reading earlier this week out of, uh, of uh, C.S. Lewis, and C.S. Lewis was, was talking about the idea that, that hell wasn't even made for humanity. And that when, when people get to heaven, when we get to heaven, when there is glorification for those people who call Jesus Lord and Savior, when we get to heaven, we are finally who we are supposed to, who we were created to be originally. And then everybody else who has decided that Jesus is not their Lord and Savior, their remnants go to hell. It's not even a place built for humanity. But God is equal. Jesus is equal in all parts, in all qualities, in everything that he does. He is 100% and worthy of our 
praise. The angels who celebrated glory to God also celebrated peace for man. And in Jesus' full reconciliation with God has been made available to those on whom his pleasure rests. So the question is, this Christmas, is does his pleasure rest on you? Are you excited to call Christ Lord and Savior? Or are you more excited about opening up presents with your family? Which isn't a bad thing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it way too many times because I got family all over the place. To open up more presents and more presents and more presents. You know what presents means for a guy who has five kids? Throwing away presents from last year is what it means. But does God's pleasure rest on you? Because it rests on all who receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation as he is presented to us in the gospel, even by the angels. Because with the apostles, the angels at Christ's birth could have proclaimed to us who have, who, who have repented and believed the gospel. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Romans 8 tells us. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. The angels knew this. And by faith, we need to look fully into the face of Christ, our Savior and God. In him, you'll find all moral excellencies, impeccable proportion, delicate balance, spiritual perfections, and studying brilliance, full integrity, the author of God's word. I assure you, you will find in Christ the Prince of Peace, the Father and the Spirit. The gospel birth announcements tell us about Christmas according to the angels. In those announcements, we find good news of great joy to all people like we had talked about before. You see, the angels are interesting though because the joy that the angels are speaking of, this joy is not their own. Because the reality is, is, is the joy they know is a joy in our salvation, not theirs. Because angels don't ever need salvation. So the joy that is coming from them is for us. It is an unselfish joy, which should be right up there. It is an unselfish joy. The angels who sang during creation week, we see this in Job chapter 38, the cherubim, the seraphim, the archangels, and all the other ranks of angels, they were all present at the birth of our first father, who's Adam. All of them were there. They were also there at the fall of Adam. As a matter of fact, it was, it was one of their own. A cherub named Lucifer who rebels against God, took the form of a serpent, tempted Adam into sin, bringing judgment on the whole human race, which is what we talked about last week. They were also there as God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. Those angels, those ones who remained obedient to the Lord, they took their stations of guardians as the way to the tree of life. And they watched as God drove the man, drove his wife and the serpent out of the garden. They were there in the tabernacle in the temple, their likeness woven into furnishings, emblematically guarding the holy of holies against the defilement of sinners. That's where they stayed, looking, watching, longing to see the triumph of God and triumph of God's grace come to pass in the birth of Jesus who would deliver his people from sin and death. They were there in Bethlehem speaking to Joseph. They were in Bethlehem speaking to Mary, to shepherds, 
to this day, they speak to us as the Holy Spirit speaks through their words in Scripture. And still, they are the ones watching to see the triumph of God's grace in us who will receive and rest in Jesus alone for salvation. For those of you who think in here that when your loved ones die, they are now angels in heaven, it's simply not true. Angels are lower than us in stature. And so when we get to heaven, when we are glorified on that side of eternity, man, angels are celebrating because of the fact that God's grace has won again. And God's grace has won again. It is an unselfish joy that they bring to the Christmas narrative over and over and over again. Not even because they get anything out of it. Because God, the creator of the universe, was able to win again and again and again. This Christmas... Be sure that you have learned and remember what the angels, messengers from heaven that they are, have told us sinners about Jesus and his birth. And I don't mean to come off as heavy and difficult and hard and all this stuff, but Christmas time, and, and I don't know how to, how to make it any more clear, Christmas time isn't a time for, it wasn't a time for just a really cute baby to show up on the scene. Man, Christmas time was D-Day. Christmas time was invasion. Christmas time was God putting his plan into place so that as, as our entire world was enveloped in darkness and void of good, he sends a shed of hope in who is his son who is ultimately invading humanity on our behalf to die on a cross, to conquer death, so we can then be glorified with his father in heaven forever. forever. Amen? Amen? All of this points to the fact that angels' announcements point to this idea of an unselfish joy. It's a joy that we can't tie up and we can't hold on to ourselves. So I say all of these things, but the reality is, is even if we leave here and we think, man, the angels actually had a bigger part to play in this whole thing than I ever thought. They did. But regardless of that, we have to walk away knowing, okay, what are my marching orders from here? Because I'm not a believer in coming to church and giving everybody hugs and saying, hey, you're doing a great job going your way. I'm a firm believer. And if we're going to come and learn something, let's put some feet to it. And so let's put some feet to this. What does this actually mean? Well, if the angels have an unselfish joy for other people coming to Christ, I think that's a pretty good standard for us to try to hit as well. That we need to begin to have an unselfish joy for other people to come to know who Christ is. Man, I've talked about it a lot and I'll continue to talk about it. There's a Greek word called oikos. And that Greek word in scripture, it means household. So with the, the way that it's used is anybody that you are in charge of, anybody in your sphere of influence is how it's used over and over and over again in oikos or, or in the Bible, that word. And so how we apply it to our lives then is that you have a specific group of people in your life. Usually it's around 8 to 15 people that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed in your realm of influence. And it's time that we as believers decide that, that the same way that the angels decided that it was, it was good news of great joy to proclaim Christ... We need to decide that it's go, it is good news and it is great joy for us to proclaim Christ to those people who, who are already in our lives. Man, I'm not asking you to go out and preach on a street corner. I'm not even asking you to go to a soup kitchen and tell everybody about Jesus. You should. That would be awesome. But I'm not even asking you to do that. I'm asking you to take that little card off your fridge, that really nice little card that's sitting next to you guys or stuck away in your, your Bible already or whatever it is. I'm just asking you to take that card and say, take it to somebody who you know is not going anywhere for Christmas and say, you know what? We're doing a Christmas Eve service. I would love for you to come. 
Because the reality is, is that we are going to preach Christ and Christ crucified every single Sunday. And we get the opportunity to do the same thing on Christmas Eve. And so I would, I, I would hope that as we go from here and you recognize the people who are in your life, those 8 to 15 people that, that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in your life to make an impact for God, I would say choose one of them. And decide that I'm going to invite this person to our Christmas Eve services because they need to know who God is. They need to know who Jesus is. Why do we celebrate Christmas? You know, the shocking thing, statistics are like over 80% of people will come to church if you simply invite them. I guarantee that statistic goes up for Christmas Eve services. Because they know they're supposed to be in church anyway, Right? They just don't know where they're supposed to go yet. Guess what? You have an open invitation for them. Be bold. Recognize that, that it is your responsibilities to be a messenger for Christ in the same way that it was the angel's responsibility to be messengers on God's behalf for Christ. It's your responsibility. It's our responsibility to be able to walk into that. Amen? All right, let's pray and we'll get out of here. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the angels and the part that they play into this Christmas story. And God, I just, uh, I pray that we would recognize Christmas is, is a time for family and it's a time for traditions and it's a time for songs and, 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 procl- and overeating and proclaiming your son and all of those things. But God, I pray that we would recognize that, that Christmas isn't just about tradition. God, that we recognize that Christmas is about you sending your son on our behalf. God, that we would recognize that that salvation comes from him and from him alone. It doesn't come from our own, our, our own living, our own carnal living. It doesn't come from doing what we feel is good and right and true. Because the reality is, Father, is that our feelings lie to us every single day. But God, we recognize that your word is true. Your word is secure. And so, Father, I pray that we would continue to look to that. To see what it is that we're supposed to do with this good news of great joy. And, Father, we all know it's to proclaim it. It is to not keep it to ourselves. And, man, that we would get an unselfish joy. That we would be so ecstatic when, when your grace covers someone new and your grace covers someone new and your grace covers someone new father we're thankful for that and if if there are people in here today with heads still bowed and eyes still closed father if there are people in here today who just want to say yes to you who want to say you know what scripture is right that i am a sinner in need of a savior that, that a we would admit that we would admit that we're sinners in need of a savior that we would recognize that nobody is better than anybody else, even looking back to Christ's genealogy. And man, Lord, we know that you use messed up people in order to accomplish your will. And Father, we're grateful for that, but we need to recognize that we are sinners first. That B, that we would believe that we're sinners in need of a Savior, that, that, that you sent your Son to cover our sins, Father. We would believe that, that he went and died on a cross and conquered death in order so that we could be with you forever. We would believe that, Father, and see that we would choose to follow you every single day. That we would open your word, that we would pray, that we would talk with other people who know more about you and talk with other people who know nothing about you, Father. That we would just be willing to wake up and say, okay, God, what now? What today? I'm ready. I'm ready to serve. You tell me where to go, and I'm going to go. 
And Father, I just pray if anybody, if anybody prayed that prayer, Lord, they would be bold enough to be able to just, just mark it down on their connect card, Father. And allow us to continue into a conversation with them. That we would recognize this is the beginning of their relationship with Jesus. And we want to help continue and foster and grow that. So, Father, we love you. We're thankful for you and your angels and especially your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you, guys. You guys have a good week. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.